Welcome to Ethereal Underground. I'm your host, TNT, and we have another exciting episode. Actually, this is take two because <laughs> a couple of weeks ago we had Didi on, and it might have been around our 10 to 15 minute interview, and the entire file was lost. So it was a, it was a great interview. Oh my gosh. It, it, it was. It was good. And I thought, well, Obviously, we can redo an interview, which which we're doing now. But since these interviews are not scripted or rehearsed, they're live and on the fly. And it's basically information that maybe needs to be discussed or is discussed based on where we are in our energy level. I think this interview will be equally as interesting just in the different two-week delayed time zone. What do you think, Didi? Uh, you know, I this was, want to do it now? Yeah, let's go. I'm like, okay, so this is how it was supposed to be. The other one obviously wasn't supposed to be, so here we are. And I am not <laughs> fond of talking about myself. It, I mean, it feels almost like an arrogance to me. You know, I have, uh, people are just kind of judgy, you know, about your life sometimes of what you've done or what you have or things you've gone through or people you've met. And, you know, so that's why I don't really like to talk about my background that much. It was like the other day, this reminds me just really quick. Um, someone had been talking about something and they go, oh, they need to have a big gong. Have you ever heard of the gong show? And I went, yeah, I actually have. Oh, you have? And I said, well, yeah, I, I filmed all the Chuck Barris productions and they kind of looked at me and they go, oh, well, look at you. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly why I don't like to talk about my background, but. I, you know, I don't really do selfies either. <laughs> That's just me, but I do like talking about my business. So here we are. Well, a couple of things. One is this, this audience is a little different and I think people are very interesting. And when I ask for their background, like I will in a few minutes for yours, it, it's only from the standpoint, uh, we're all fascinating individuals. You can get a lot of stories if it's coherent even with someone homeless uh, right they have a lot of interesting tales what led them to this oh point in their life and yeah. and there's some youtubers that do that and you find out that the, some homeless people are concert pianists or they right? uh, were engineers yeah. and they had 20 30 patents under their yeah. name and they're homeless you're like what and uh, yeah. uh weird circumstances one thing led to another uh, some people might say a string of bad luck, whatever term they want to use, and all of a sudden they're homeless. You're like, I would have no idea. You just passed a guy in the street and not give a second thought. They're real people uh, with a interesting background. So I know you're not braggadocious, hmm. but you, you do have an interesting life. And the reason why I want you to describe some of it, I think it's important for people to know a little bit about who you are without getting into anything uh, personal. Because that will help them paint a picture as to where you are now in your life, what you've accomplished and the journey that you are on, that you have been on, and why you are affiliated with your business that we'll talk about in this interview. And without that background, Didi, of, of you, I think it would be kind of lost in translation. Yeah. So it's not... None of us will take it that you're being braggadocious. In fact, when you gave this example a few days ago that you're on the 
filming of the Chuck Barris. I remember the gong show very well growing up. If you, if I were there, I would have said, you got to be kidding me. That's interesting. Tell me more. <laughs> I, I would be, I'd be all ears. I'd be drawing you out with questions. I'd be all ears. Very fascinating. Never would I go, Oh, you're bragging, but absolutely not. So I, I think that type of person would never listen to these podcasts anyway. Right. This audience is very unique. They're mature. I think they're spiritually inclined. Yeah. They're going to want, they're, they're anxious and, and want to know some background, just who is Dee Dee. <laughs> it'll be all ears, very interesting. And then it'll help with the puzzles, explaining where you are today and your business, uh, which, which you do for a living, what you're excited about. So with that being said, do you want to give a little background as far as when and where you grew up, what generation you are? Do you have any siblings and whatever you feel comfortable sharing? Sure. You know, it was funny when you said the homeless person, I remember taking my daughter, uh, she was probably eight, maybe if that, seven or eight, ways used to go down to the beach, you know, pack a picnic. And there was this homeless guy who had his grocery cart filled with his life, everything he owned. And we had leftover sandwiches and things. And my little girl was, mom, can, can we give him our food? And we're driving away from the beach down Pacific Coast Highway. Mom, can we give him our food? And I went, absolutely. I hung a Yui. We pulled over. And for the next three hours, we sat with this man, gave him the rest of our food. And his life, T, was so intriguing. It was exactly what you said. He was a concert pianist. He liked where he was. He didn't have to deal with anything or anyone after dealing with it all his life. So you just never know when you're entertaining an angel. You, you just don't. Um, but when you asked me to do the podcast, first and foremost, I was completely blown away, extremely honored, if I may say so, that you would even consider asking me to do your podcast with you. So thank you for that. Again, I'm honored. And uh, of course I couldn't say no, <laughs> but I guess I, I, I come from humble backgrounds. My father's side um, came across the pond to Rochester, New York, and eventually moseyed across the land to Michigan where my great-grandfather was born in Keeler, Michigan in 1875. And the reason I bring this up is um, he has written some books, my great-grandfather, and was in the Encyclopedia Britannica uh, that I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of my bloodline, but it's not something we go walk around talking about, not even during the time or even now, do we? But um, they did a lot of farming and ranching, um, specifically in corn and oats, potatoes and apples and cows and pigs and sheep. Um, so they, you know, dealt also with the kerosene and molasses back then with the castor oil. That was a big thing. Um, and vinegar was a big thing. And of course, whiskey um, any, and beer, any similar liquids that were carried in barrels, they were, um, they were hands-on, you might say, with everything. Hard workers, um, that's in the bloodline. Then everything was, everyone was telling my great-great-grandfather to take his family and go west, you know, back in the day, everybody go west. So that's exactly what he did in a covered wagon. And they migrated from there to a little state called California. You may have heard of it. 
where they were one of the first settlers of Ventura County area, which is just south of Santa Barbara, if, if people don't know California that well. Um, they continued to ranch and farm. They did sugar beets and lima beans, um, barley, strawberries were one of our biggest products, uh, produces and, and cattle. Um, then they moved on later into drilling oil, um, having the mineral rights to the area. So, you know, all of the, the uh, segue here, the, all of the BS of this Green New Deal, it just rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> Needless to say, people don't know what they're talking about. Um, but my great-grandfather, again, wrote a book. It was called Album of Memory. Um, <laughs> I can't even talk anymore. Um, Album of Memories, Memoirs. And he also, again, was in, in the Encyclopedia Britannica. But my mother's side, they're also from Michigan. She was a concert pianist at 16 years old and played in the Phoenix Symphony Orchestra. She was the youngest in history ever to be in the orchestra. And she married my dad and moved to California. That didn't last long. So she moved back to Arizona where her parents, my wonderful grandparents raised my sister and brother and I who are older than I am, I'm the baby. Um, they were phenomenal people and, and set a uh, great foundation for my brother and my sister and I to grow up. I had taught myself how to play piano when I was little. My brother and my sister were taking piano lessons. They were in school and it was one of the courses that we had to take. I wasn't in school yet. So they hated the piano um, and I loved it. So as long as the piano was being played or heard, no one knew any different. Um, not sure how that really worked out, but my grandfather on my mother's side, he was an engineer. He was one of the engineers that designed the Goodyear blimp that we see um, and, and quite a few other things that are um, noteworthy. He also was an astronomer. He had built his own, it was about a 10 foot long telescope that he built himself. And he would wake us up in the middle of the night in different times of the year, um, take my brother and my sister and I and we'd go out back and he would teach us about the heavens, all about the different planets, the stars, black holes, everything. It was an amazing education, uh, very unique. He was also a photographer and had built his own darkroom in our house. I was by his side every second watching and learning. And, you know, I was little. Um, he did the first magazine the look magazine i'm not sure if you remember that do you remember look and life those magazines yes i do he did the first cover to the look magazine he also built his own boat this man was just amazing amazing um i seem to be the only grandchild that could be quiet on the water and still not be restless in the boat because he loved fishing. So, you know, early in the wee hours of the morning, he would wake me up and we would go fishing. Um, and I guess that's why I love fishing so much, but I learned quite a bit growing up, very wholesome. Then fast forward to when I was 17, <laughs> all that wholesomeness seemed to go out the window, joking. Um, I grew up really fast, hella fast. I started working at a concert venue where the regular bands at the time were like Fleetwood Mac or Van Halen, 
Loggins and Messina, um, Dave Matthews Band, Charlie Daniels was one of our regulars back then. My bosses at the time were seven, I was 17. So I had gone through high school quick. I'd always worked the entire time through high school. So I graduated early, earlier than other people did. And I went to work where other people were still in school. I got a, a, a job that maybe someone else would have gotten, but my bosses were Jesse Nix and Doug Clark. Uh, there were mo music moguls back then, not the Doug Clark from Times Square, but the, the, he was into music promoting. Um, so I was their assistant at 17 years old. And I started college and did the job. And uh, I guess I got a, a, a jump on things that other people didn't get, if you will. Um, so you, let me just ask a quick question, Dee. You, at sure. 17, you're Jesse Nix's uh, assistant. So some that don't know, that's Stevie Nix's father. Correct. Well, Stevie Nix of Fleetwood Mac, you mentioned that band. Right. When you graduating early from high school and getting this job in the music industry, where were you physically located? What state was this? This was in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, and that's then, where I was born and raised in Phoenix and then moved to California and back and forth. And so I was still in Phoenix then. Okay, so you're in Phoenix at this time and you have this job. Finishing high school early, going straight to work, kind of a baptism of fire, you said. <laughs> Could you, or do you feel comfortable? Would you want to describe, or can you remember any stories of what would it be like? Help walk us through this at 17 years old in Phoenix <laughs> in this music industry. What kind of things were you doing as an assistant? What, what was it like? And what? stories or anything stick in mind that might give us an idea of this oh my gosh so fast-paced life that you're, you're what fast and furious at this point yeah i can i can talk you know it was a it was a extremely wholesome uh background and i think having that wholesomeness you aren't naive by any means um but you're also uh how can i put it um you're you're shoved into this world of rock and roll, if you will. And you can see right through it, I think is what I want to say. You can see right through it. You don't fall for it. It doesn't matter to you. You know, some people get so starstruck and, and limelight blinds them. And I think having the wholesome background and being grounded from my grandparents raising us is, was my saving grace. I honestly think you see a lot of these actors, musicians, whatever, they take their own lives. You know, they go off and, and are just not grounded because they don't have that background. If you have a foundation that is set in stone, you might fall off a little bit. Maybe you'll smoke some pot or whatever, but you generally always go back to that foundation. So my position would consist of Jesse and Doug talking to whatever agent, let's say they would, well, Jesse would, would do Fleetwood Mac often. He would talk to their agent, Jesse Nix, being the father of, of Stevie, you know, that was kind of a done deal, but he had to go through the agent, their agent. Um, so they would literally sometimes over dinner on a napkin, chicken scratch the deal 
whatever it was, whatever money was involved, whatever the musicians were asking for, they asked for a lot of stuff. Uh, then they'd come back and it, usually in the morning when I got there, there'd be a contract, a napkin or a piece of paper with their chicken scratch. And I would have to make heads or tails of it. Um, and I would turn that into a physical real contract from again, money that was negotiated to making sure whatever dining experience these bands desired, um, food, if they wanted prime rib or if they wanted, well, back then vegetarians weren't that big of a deal, but whatever they wanted and needed drinking wise, whatever lodging experience they desired, I had to make that happen. For instance, Charlie Daniels always, and so was a given, wanted his case of Jack Daniels with Coke. You know, he had a, a case of it that we always delivered it to his hotel. Um, whatever, again, the rock and rollers negotiated, uh, I was the one that made sure it happened. But nothing, not, it wasn't all contractual. I would get a phone call sometimes from one of the band members or their agent, generally not their agent because the agents don't want to be involved in that. Um, that would be asking for extra items. A lot of that was not of legalities. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. It would have to go off the books. I would have to scrounge up or look for whatever or whoever they were requesting. Needless to say, I, I grew up really fast doing that. I had to find connections um, in our area of things that they wanted, whether it be pot or Coke or uh, women, whatever. So I did that for a couple hours until I, a uh, couple years until I moved to, to California. But um, one story that really sticks in my, in my crow that you know, the, they would usually come into the office and say hi to me because when, when the bands played, I usually had to be there to, of the start of the show, even though I had already put in 80 hour work weeks, most of the bands don't play until the weekends. So then I would have to be there um, to make sure everything was rolling and, and on time and everything else. So, you know, people would come in like Eddie, Eddie Van Halen would come in and hi, Deanna, give me a hug and things of this sort. And this one particular time he'd say, you know, we never see you. you, you're here and then you leave. And I go, yeah, I've you know, already put in my 80 hours, but he said, well, why don't you come backstage and, you know, come say hi to us. So I thought that was a really nice invite. I don't usually do stuff like that. You know, I'm a kind of private person and leave their privacy to them. But when someone like Eddie Van Halen invites you, you kind of want to go, you know? So I went back there and they were eating and he said, come in, sit down. So I sat next to Eddie and we're having a great discussion. And across from me is David Lee Roth. Um, not speaking anything, didn't say hi. I said hi to him, but he didn't respond. I guess a few seconds into our conversation, he saw that I was gonna be there for a little bit and shoved his plate towards me, a little bit got on my lap and said, I can't believe that we're sitting with this crap basically uh, of, a person that wasn't, I don't know, I don't know, but I looked at Eddie and, and Eddie looked at him and called him a son of a bitch and said, don't mind him, you know, he's a D-I-C-K. And I excused myself. I don't remember what I said, something like I, I've got an appointment or whatever, but I never did that ever again, because that's not something I, I ever did do. And, 
yeah, after that, you certainly didn't want to do it again. So but, that's interesting uh, that, that, that you mentioned that, how different the personalities are of those band members. Oh my gosh. I mean, the arrogance, if I could, if I could, he is probably the most, and I'm not, and I'm not talking behind his back. I'm not, I would say this to his face. Um, I think maybe I did, but he's got to be one of the most arrogant people I've ever worked with. I've worked with a lot of different people, but his arrogance was really off the Richter scale. Well, you know, the, these bands, not to pick on the music industry, but bands is like a, a family or a marriage and you have all these yes. different dynamics and you can see some of these super bands, which I put Van Halen in that category. Yeah. Uh, you can see the personalities. And I, I think you're more of an expert than I am, but a lot of times the, the Van Halen brothers always seem to have a, a good reputation down to earth, friendly to their fans. Uh, there, there might always uh, be cases where there was a, a wild hotel stay or something of that nature. Right. But, but as far as the, the singer for a while there, I, I heard similar stories that experiences that happened to you. And I think, wasn't that one of the frictions? Cause eventually he did leave and yes. they replaced him. Yes. Yeah. Cause he was, he was too arrogant. I mean, there, let me give you an example to compare to that. Mick Fleetwood, everybody's heard of Mick Fleetwood, the nicest gentleman you would ever, ever, ever meet. He would go out of his way to do anything for anyone. I mean, including myself, even though, yeah, his, you know, father-in-law, Jesse Nix was the big promoter. Even after I knew Mick after years after that, he would be going to a club and, you know, come and meet us, come and join us. You know, can I send a limo for you? I mean, just, just the nicest, nicest people, Charlie Daniels down to earth, the nicest people, the one that that was really close to the arrogance of David was Jimmy Buffett, believe it or not. He had a, uh, most of these people had parties after, after the, the show. So of course we, I arranged the party. I knew where the party was. I had food for the party. I mean, I put the party together. So a lot of times I would go and make sure the party was going well. And sometimes I felt like you know, having, having a drink or hanging out or whatever. There's a lot of different people. My staff was there, you know, our audio group, um, video group. And, and this one particular time, um, Jimmy had a room there. And so his agent said, come into the room, you know, come in with us. I mean, there's just a party. It wasn't anything. So I thought, eh, he goes, no, you're coming. Let's go. You know? So I was kind of forced, if you will, to go in and, um, Peter Fonda was there. That was his bet. They were best friends. And I walk in and again, Peter slammed something down on the table. The second I walked in with Jimmy's agent, the second I walked in, slammed something down on the table and said, I'll be damned if I'm going to be partying here. And I thought, okay, I turned around and left, but I was agent was pissed. But oh my gosh, there's just so many things about that. But there's less of that than there are, like you said, the family. The Bee Gees, for example, that is one of the biggest family-oriented bands I have 
ever been around. Their mom and dad would give you presents, invite you down where they lived off in, in Mobile, Alabama. We did some shows down there. And I mean, they just, it was like we were one of the family. So I just, you know, you gotta, gotta pick and choose, I guess, but. Well, when you did that, you had a period you had mentioned to me, cause you and I know each other that you had exposure and you worked in Hollywood too. So you had music background in Hollywood. What was that transition or how did that come about? Um, well, we did the George Carlin specials. We, the theater that I worked at, the, the venue I worked at was the first theater in the round that was ever. And it held almost 2,200 people. I think 2,280 seats were there. So a lot of people did a lot of their comedic, uh, comedy shows there. George Carlin always liked to come there and do his shows. He was like one of us. He would come into the, our, we had a staff lounge where a lot of people would go back, back in the day and get high and whatever. And, and, he, and he would go back there and sit with them and you know, was, was one of us. Um, so we, we always did his specials and we would hire his audio and video crews from California. Well, they stole me away. And off I went, you know, started uh, in the film and, and TV industry over there, did quite a bit of TV and film. Um, I, came, I, I came back to Arizona for a bit, got married, had my daughter, who's phenomenal. I'm, I'm not bragging about her. She came that way. So I was very blessed. Um, I went back to California, did a little bit more filming and did I think the last big thing I did was the Matrix two and three. And again, all those people, every single solitary person, Keanu Reeves, nice as anyone you would ever imagine. I just, you know, joined right in and 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 never never looked at themselves as, oh, I'm a movie star. They just didn't, you know. So I had more of that than not. And so when the film industry started changing to where they were hiring, you know, assistant to be the assistant of the assistant who was already the assistant assistant. It just, it just got too crowded, too busy, too many cooks in the kitchen and it got too arrogant. Um, and I thought, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. So I got out of that and started um, in the food and beverage industry because I, I love to cook. I love doing all that. Uh, it's a big love of mine. So I was managing and running and general manager and director of, of resorts and nightclubs, um, things of that sort. And then um, I retired. I came back to Arizona. I say I retired. I just, I came back to Arizona because my daughter came and is in college and finishing her master's and had, uh, had children. And I wanted to be close to her and the kids. So I like working. Um, I like keeping busy, keeping my mind busy. So I wanted to do something. I needed to do something. So I thought, well, you know what? Everybody's getting into the CBD and, and CBN oil. And, and I, I'm going to check this out and thought, well, I'll start distributing that. And then I thought, why, nah, why would I be a distributor? I had a corporation before to where I owned, um, I, it was called a mail drop. You remember those mailbox acceptors back in the day? Yes, I do. Well, I, I did some research and I thought, first of all, you had to give them 7% uh, 
of your gross just for the name. And I thought, why would I want to give them 7% of, of uh, just a name? So I opened one of my own <laughs> and did it myself and called it a mail drop. And then I, I uh, secured a contract with the United States Postal Service. No one has ever done that in history that has a shipping business. We had UPS, FedEx, um, you name it, we had it. And the USPS was adamant about not putting a contract in a shipping business. And so I did again, a lot of research and came in as one of the lowest bids. Um, and I just fought for it and convinced them. And they had a year to pick someone in the area that I was. And the postmaster himself walked in and I thought, uh, bad news. He slapped down this contract and said, the only reason you're getting this contract here in your shipping business is because you were so damn adamant about it. And I thought, yay. Well, for the first year that I had the contract, I grossed $800,000 for the United States Postal Service. But that being said, I thought, I don't want to work for a distributor for the CBN and CBD people. I can do this myself. I know people that grow, you know, in California. So I started making some phone calls and thought, you know, can we put this together? Can we start our own company? You know, we can do this. They were kind of doing things like that. Ironically, at the same time, a friend of mine that I've known for 17 years, over 17 years, that exact same day, T, had called me and said, look, I'm looking to do some investing, you know, in CBN or CBD oil. If, if you know anyone, you know, can help me out. And I was like, oh, lo and behold, that that is it, it, the whole thing of crossing paths and things falling on my lap. I just, I've been blessed with that my whole life. Um, so he's still being in California and I'm in Arizona. Again, he's looking to invest. So lo and behold, one of my old family friends, old family friends from California, who you know, who lives in Missouri now, um, got a hold of me because he had heard that I was going to be doing CBN and CBD. And he said, uh, you know, I'm interested in it. Let me know when you start distributing. Oh, by the way, I know this uh, world-renowned scientist who has a technology that can help the people that you know that are growing. Uh, so I do tell. Um, and lo and behold, that's you. <laughs> So as energy works, uh, makes paths cross, and that's why I'm talking to you now. So I have a company now with my partner, the person I've known for lifetimes, actually just met again 17 years ago, but um, we invested two years ago and started this company with your technology, and our company is called MD Air LLC. Um, so you know, your listeners will see everything that you've invented thus far, more to come, hopefully, and what it's all about and what you're all about, because you are rare and unique and people need to know that. So I want to thank you again for having me on here and interviewing me. And um, I do feel honored, but you are uh, the star. And I think people need to know that you've got a lot to give to the world. Well, your, your website is MD 
air enviropure.com, correct? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So it's it's all one word, MD air enviropure.com. And you're you're right. That website which you have is it's it's a beautiful website. It's got many compliments and it's way, way better than my website. So I always refer your website to the public. That uh, website does contain the technologies that I was uh, instrumental, key part in the inventions and patents on that. Well, what attracted you is when we met and the two of you came out on a business trip and we spent some time together and you were in the lab in my office, you were very tuned in that the technology, the PCO technology primarily, or the bipolar uh, ionization mimics nature. And you really like the fact that earth, the way the earth is able to sustain life and manage to this point, however old earth is, or a lot of estimates, it's very ancient, but it has a way of cleansing itself, cleaning the air and surfaces through natural production of hydrogen ions and oxygen ions. So when I mentioned that I'm basically mimicking or duplicating nature's genius that we're able to manufacture these bipolar ions, positive hydrogen ions, negative oxygen ions, that it's the same process that happens in a thunderstorm or uh, waterfalls, rapid moving waters like uh, waves, ocean waves. You got it instantly because you have a natural connection to organic and spirituality. Thank you. I think you were that way from birth, most likely, don't you think? I, I think our souls are predestined. Absolutely. Um, I think you are kind of put on earth for different specific reasons. Everyone, you know, it's a school, I believe. It's a, a learning process. And we are supposed to be changing things, especially right now with where the world is and where it's headed. Um, it, it's detrimental. I think to human kind, human nature, humans, if you will, because not all of us are humans here, I don't believe, um, that we get it real quick right now. And I think that we've had to go through different time periods. A lot of people will disagree with me, but maybe not on, on, on your platform here, but uh, your spirit isn't a gender, you know, it, it is an energy. Um, and we have to bring forth and bring down certain entities. Um, it is a spiritual warfare. It's, you know, light against the dark. And I think, again, your spirit is predestined. So maybe my spirit has gone through, because I ironically have a favorite time frame, and it's like the Renaissance time. I kind of remember things that I don't know why. Uh, you know, certain things are very familiar to me, 
Um, and then the 1800s, that was another periodic time that was one of my favorites. I hate to say that it sounds like, you know, the white, the men in white coats should be taking me away, but um, it is what it is. You know, where do you get this? Where do you get these ideas? Where did Einstein get his ideas? Where did Henry Ford? Where did you, you know, none of this is, um, we should be really taken that lightly because there's some serious things happening right now. Um, and there's specific people, souls, spirits, whatever, that have a higher realm energy than a lot of other people. And it could have been from everything they've gone through, could have been from where they came from. And I don't mean, you know, Arkansas. Um, I, I think right now is crucial. And I, I think you agree with that. Yes, I just to give you my observations, I think the field of science was really progressing, making tremendous progress, discoveries of insight in the late 1800s, let's say uh, 1880 through early 1920s. Yeah. And in that period, some of the great minds in Europe, uh, United States, so basically the, uh, the Western world, the understanding of what I specialize in in field theory was very accurate and their understanding of how life works was accelerating. And it seems that around 1912, 1913, 1914, that time period, which not by accident is when the Federal Reserve, this private bank got started through a nefarious history, that there was a sabotage in science and a great detour or roadblock was set up and it steered the scientific community in a different direction, but in a direction that was calculated for control or manipulation and real science and field theory was stonewalled and almost wiped off history. And, and the field theory experts, for example, uh, Tesla, Steinmetz, uh, Heaviside, Buckminster Fuller, Faraday, uh, Dr. Royal Raymond Reif, all those great minds, some uh, female scientists as well. Their work was suppressed. Their yeah. labs, many of their labs actually confiscated by- I know, government. I, I, I'm amazed. Look into the dark, dark history of that. And uh, their patents, their labs, and their prototypes were whisked away secretly by uh, one of the strongest divisions is Department of Energy that had done that. And that work continued, but underground. And what they did is they really pushed atomic theory above ground in universities, uh, primary uh, educational systems worldwide to this day, but it was inferior, atomic theory is inferior to field theory they kept the good stuff and did that work off budget, off books, uh, underground, let's say. And the crappy science, atomic theory, is what we're doing here on the surface. 
and it's not near as advanced as what they have with their secret patents and their facilities that are basically uh, off grid where you and I would never have any access to or knowledge of just how advanced they are. So I think scientifically, there's a struggle for every scientist such as myself and the group there we're outnumbered probably i hate to say this but 13 to 18,000 to 1 so for every 13,000 scientists there's one like me and that's sad yeah that's sad it's the truth so you were attracted to this technology because you knew that the ion cluster generation, hydrogen, oxygen, ion cluster in, in an active state when it's charged or a plasma, cold plasma, that it's very effective on mold, mildew, viruses, bacteria, but causes no harm to human, plant, or animal. And you were attracted by that technology and it helps in grow houses, which you have business connections with, but um, you know, because you have some inside information working closely with me, that this technology, especially in the last two plus years, mm-hmm. has, has definitely been railroaded and blocked. Yeah. It, it, it's unbelievable how something that you cannot find anything that is better, healthier, more pure for you then this technology is being banned. Does that not raise a red flag? What the heck is going on if they don't want people to get a hold of this to help them live, to help them breathe, to help them live longer, actually? You know, I've, I had a couple people in my home. My daughter ran a, a large hospital and she had COVID from the patients. And she was in my home two different times with bad case of COVID for specific reasons. She had to be here. And with the technology from you that I have in my home, I never got it. People that come in never get it. I rarely, and this is off the, off, off, you know, talk right this second, but I rarely have to dust my home. I don't remember the last time I dust my home and I'm in Arizona, which is a desert you don't see any dust on my furniture. That right there has got to tell you something. If there's no dust on your furniture, there's none in the air that you're breathing. There's no mold, there's no mildew, there's no germs, there's no diseases, no viruses. Why would not the entire world, the entire universe want this to be? Well, I think the average Joe six pack wants this technology, but the powers to be, the commercial, governmental and scientific community uh they're blocking this technology from getting to the public because they have certain technologies that they're promoting as the one and only solution and we know what that is it's unfortunately very advanced uh, darpa finance with grants way back 2011 2012 but but these are pharmaceutical approaches that are operating systems that alter and change DNA and are connected to uh, cellular communication, 5 and 6G, believe it or not, where remotely signals can be sent and nanotechnology 
uh, quantum dots, the graphene dots and other, that they can respond to a cell phone frequency inside your body, the, the human, the average citizen has no idea how advanced the technology is because this has all been off books and black budget projects. Well, they, and, they haven't, go ahead, I'm sorry. And, and uh, wholesome technology is being blocked. So just so the audience, this, this is the first time I've publicly said this. I don't know, you know, this is a new show, so not many people listen to it. Maybe a hundred, get about a hundred views per episode, but what happened when the bipolar ion complex that the technology that your website manufactures, which is duplicating a thunderstorm, how, how it works is when you have the hydrogen oxygen ion uh, cluster, bipolar, because the hydrogen's positive, oxygen's negative, thus the word bipolar. One of the elements created is hydrogen peroxide, but it's, it's in vapor form, gas. And then there's short-term hydroxyls, OH. But these ion clusters, when they're distributed in a, in a room, they seek equilibrium. So they'll use Brownian motion and they'll reach the floor and the ceiling and they dissipate into water vapor and carbon dioxide non-harmful, but while they're in their active state, if there's any virus or bacteria, mold or mildew in the air or surface, when these ion clusters come in contact, it, whatever term you wanna use, uh, a virus neutralize it or bacterium kill it. It happens in a hundredth of a second and there's no risk of any mutation because what these ion clusters do is when they touch the surface of a virus or bacterium, they pull a hydrogen atom off the surface of the membrane because the ion clusters wanna form water vapor, H2O. So when the ion clusters touch a virus or bacterium, it pulls a hydrogen atom off to form simple H2O, harmless H2O. When it pulls that hydrogen atom off, there's actually if you were to shrink down to the surface of that virus bacteria, you would hear a, an explosion mm. because there's, there's an electrical discharge of pulling that hydrogen atom off to form water vapor. And that little explosion is like a firecracker and it blows a hole into the membrane, the surface membrane. Now, any, anyone with even high school biology knows that when you puncture the surface or create a hole in the membrane, you've inactivated, instantaneously, you've inactivated any virus or bacteria. Well, when you do that, that's called a, me a mechanical kill or a mechanical neutralization because you simply by pulling that hydrogen atom off to form water vapor, you've created a little explosion and it blew a hole like a firecracker. Take a little firecracker and tape it to a balloon, a, a children's balloon that you blew up, like the firecracker. When the, when the firecracker goes off, it blows a hole in that balloon and the balloon deflates instantly. Well, that's what's happening at a microscopic level. 
when you have a mechanical kill, there's no risk of mutation because you're not entering the nucleus and altering DNA, like pharmaceutical approach, where you could have some freakazoid mutation. This is simply uh, piercing a hole. So it's very effective, safe, extremely fast. And that's what nature does during a thunderstorm. That's why it smells so fresh after yeah. a heavy rain. Uh, this simple technology that's billions of years old, however old the earth is, yeah. that's being blocked over a DARPA military budgeted, granted, patented operating system that alters human DNA. So which out of the two would you rather prefer? Yeah. So obviously what's going on here? There, there's evil that cannot be described by any dictionary that's going on worldwide. You know, it's, there's an agenda. I, I don't know. I don't think this agenda is new. I think it has been planted, like you said, long ago. It isn't just from Hitler or Soros. Um, I think they have been planted to implement that. But, you know, from the 40s and 50s, there's so much more now that we have to be aware of uh, than we ever have in history. I believe social media isn't a coincidence. Hollywood is not a coincidence. I honestly have always felt that Hollywood is a messenger. Um, they mm -hmm. were produced or brought up, formed to in, inform the world uh, in movies like um, um, IT. I, I mean, um, AI, you know, movies when they started um, back, back, even in Charlie Chapman days, they were mostly entertainment and things of that sort. But then it progressed and started informative movies. You think they're just entertainment. But if you notice the genre, when they come about, when they started showing all the spaceship movies and, and everything else, where is, you think that's a coincidence? Not at all. Um, social media is not a coincidence. It's a well thought out plot, I believe, and it's not of this realm. Um, now, with that, I mean, the sleeping giant is awoken now, much to the demise of evil. So evil is rearing up because they had all the time in the world, if you will, and not so, because the light will always reign. The light is always more powerful, um, but things are going to propel astronomically because evil is very strong. That dark is very strong. Um, you know, the dinosaurs knew it. They became complacent. Look what happened to them. Joking, but that's exactly what's happening to us. Exactly what's happening to us. And I believe you had said something about a shift in, in the earth when, um, you know, when, when it was flooded back in Noah's day and there was a shift in the earth. And, and I believe that's gonna come around again. You know, what is fascinating to me is um, there are so many things that we can't hear and see at, at being inhuman with flesh. There are some of us that are prophets. I believe you've always been a prophet. I believe there's, you know, they call Jesus a prophet. That's a whole story all in itself. But 
you know, it's, it's in, in a book called the Bible that was made um, over a couple thousand years by, you know, how many different authors. There's lots of these books and they say, you know, they're called his story, um, history, but the human eye can only see between 430 and 770 terahertz. Our ears can only detect sound between 20 hertz and 20 kilohertz. Mm -hmm. And this makes up a fraction of the total of sound and light frequency range. Right. I, I find that peculiar because this means there's a lot going on around that we cannot see or hear, but there are a lot of us that are in tune to that, that can hear and see more than your average Joe, like you, um, that are becoming more prevalent, I think. Um, well, I think the best, the best that we can do is uh, probably eight, eight and a half years ago, I started to give little clues on social media, interviews, YouTube and other platforms, podcasts, that if people would connect the dots, they would get a lot of answers. But, but I had to do it in a skillful way because there's algorithms and there's enemies out right. there. And I didn't want to get shut down immediately um, when, when I did have YouTube channels or podcasts and so forth. But the how life works with field theory is completely different. And if you, if you begin to understand field theory, it, it answers a lot because yes, the majority of activity and consciousness is outside the small electromagnetic bandwidth that humans are designed to dwell in. Right. And we found, I started to find the, the secrets of water and I've talked to you about the, the energized and structured water and the technologies that I've uh, developed and working collaboration with other scientists, the water molecule is the secret between counter space and our existence. The uh, H2O water molecule is a battery. It can be charged and discharged, but also being a liquid crystal can contain data or code and when you find out the the percentage that we're comprised of waters basically identical to the percentage of water on earth that's not by uh, accident and the water in ancient civilizations energized and purified purification water structured water can change physical health, it can change your uh, body chemistry, metabolism, but also can contain information or data that helps at a spiritual level. So what's happened is for many hundreds of years, especially in the United States, North America here, we've had access and been exposed to bulk water, B-U-L-K bulk water, instead of the uh, highly energized structured water and the human body doesn't function properly and your clarity your spiritual clarity is fogged 
when you're uh, exposed to bulk water and then various uh, chemicals that are in the air, beverage industry and food industry. So the human body has been, I think, scientifically polluted yeah. uh, in a very sophisticated, calculated way. The human body's been polluted and it's not functioning properly. I use the illustration, any car guys out there, if you have a very high-end uh, 200, $300 million supercar, sports car. And there, there's a lot of manufacturers out there. If it's a sophisticated 700,000 horsepower V10, V12, how would en any engine run if you took, so to speak, the ignition coils or spark plugs and you disconnected three or four from a V10? Well, it's not going to run right. right. Uh, it's... it's not going to have the horsepower it's supposed to and uh, run irregular, sound horrible as well. Well, the human body has been detuned, has been polluted, and we have manifestations of that with society, uh, relationships, families, uh, workmates, community. We've, we have a lot of dysfunction. And a lot of it is due to the fact that mankind has been cut off from purified, uh, energized water, and then the suspended nutrients that can be delivered intracellularly. There's absolutely a concerted effort or a conspiracy that has gotten mankind or society to this point. And when I try to talk about it and explain the science behind it, um, I only get two to 300 viewers. Now, I don't know if the view count's been altered. That could be the case, but oh, getting, getting, that, getting the word out. That. Yeah, but get, getting the word out seems to be very difficult. And oh. it seems like everyone's like, yeah, whatever. It's Maybe they're interested ever so briefly for a couple of minutes, but they'd much rather, they'd much rather talk about draft picks of a sports team or of a particular Hollywood couple's Dirty laundry yeah. being aired. Right. And, uh, oh my gosh. For a lawsuit. Oh my. What are we being well, distracted from right now with this Johnny Depp thing? Is what I keep thinking. Well, what are they? What's going to be popping up? You know. Yeah. Or or if it's if if it's a geopolitical, there, there's yeah, always yeah. some type of distraction or some type of glitter. And what happens is when there's a few individuals and, or scientists such as myself that are really onto something and say, "Hey, <laughs> everyone." you might want to listen to what I have to say. And this is very interesting. We get drowned it out repeatedly, yeah. drowned it out. Drowned. So the most I can usually impact is 80 to 300 people. The last eight and a half years, that's all I seem to, maybe that, I guess that's it. It's better than nothing. But what I don't know is the, the 80 to 300 people who over the years have watched my videos or they listen to my interviews in this new podcast show, is that doing any good? Are they paying it forward? Or is it any impact? Do I just forget about it and just bury myself in the lab with research and keep my mouth shut? I don't know what to do. No, I, I think that we had talked about this on the first podcast, ironically got um, disappeared, let's put it. <laughs> um, times have changed from when, because you brought this up, you said there was what, maybe 7% of people that will defend or go to war, if you will. Do you remember that? 
part of yeah, the conversation. Yeah, usually whenever there's a revolution, yeah, whether yeah. it was Europe or in this country, it's 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 usually seven percent of the population that move the needle, and ninety three percent were complacent and didn't want to get involved and and didn't care what kind of tyranny at the time, and didn't lift a finger. It's always seven percent that moved the needle and had changes. I, I think that that's changing now and has changed the percentage, meaning I believe there's more on board because I think back then there was more brainwashing. I don't know if there's more brainwashing, but it seems that people are um, waking up, I think, with the energies changing. Um, there's more of us that are coming out of the woodwork or maybe the time frame that we were born you know because i wasn't born in world war 1 or world war 2 and neither were you so maybe the later time that that our souls came back on this earth has a huge uh mark you know i the one thing that i wanted to mention which i think has a lot of uh stronghold on us like you were talking about is the technology you know, if you stay up late looking at technology, the lights from whatever, Facebook, or, or you're looking, surfing the web, or you're looking at articles on your phone, whatever, um, it puts you, and, and they're not stupid, again, they have an agenda, it'll put you in a, into a disappointment mode, or, or a complacency, if you will, like a laziness, um, dare I even say a depression, yeah, I know. I know that if I don't go on Facebook, which is becoming less and less and less, it's just it feels more dark to me. The more I, the more I'm on it, and when I'm not, I don't have that physical feel. I mean, physical, spiritual feel. I think being human nowadays, I believe um, that kind of stuff. It, it, it knows it's pulling you into the shadows into the darkness and the darkness knows it. So more technology, yay. You know, even if you turn, let's say you read a book late at night instead of on your phone, on the web, whatever, there's a whole circumstance um, that's involved in that. You know, you're reading by yourself, you just have your energy. But if you're with someone and they are of the dark that you're keeping company with, uh, bring you down and not bring you up, that's that that's your energy circle so i just you know you, you got to be careful and i know you've said this too of you know who you who you put yourself around this isn't new though it's just more prevalent i think now and faster coming because of the way of the universe and the obstacles that are trying to take hold right now you know spiritual warfare um i think it is becoming faster because the dark sees that there's more people standing up, more people are getting it. And I think it's the generation that was born now. I don't think it's, it's a new energy. I just think it's um, the, again, the light will win. They always do. Yeah, it's, that makes, that makes sense. I think we're uh, maybe we'll schedule a, a part two. It'd be nice to have you back for well, part two and what what i could do is leave either a, a cliffhanger or at least 
leave mm -hmm. a lead in to a, a second interview, uh, maybe in, in the in the weeks to come. We'll okay. Time when when our schedules can line up, but what you mentioned. I think the dark side or whatever term you want to use, they are in a hurry. Yeah. Obvious that they're in a hurry. I don't know if they're panicking or uh, a particular timeline. There seems to be a, a hurrying of getting humanity involved in this Borg-like transhumanism to get them to yeah. be shipped and linked into the cloud, into the Skynet type Intel, Silicon Valley cloud. Elon Musk talks about this a lot versus uh, a growing section of humanity that really wants to remain like you and I do, organic. Hmm. Uh, the true essence of being connected to, to nature and not be hooked into having our consciousness uploaded into a cloud of servers or whatever they have <laughs> in, in mind. <laughs> and what they're doing now is it's the gloves are off because this month, this month they they're altering this UN treaty, which would give the WHO uh, global governance. Because if they ever, like who 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 makes this final decision? But the wording, in effect, is if there's ever another pandemic or they claim that there's a pandemic, then the WHO <laughs> steps in with this treaty, and any particular country's constitution or rights goes right out the window, and then they can have lockdowns or forced injections and this, that, and it's like, come on, are you, are you serious? So they vote on that this month and then it goes into effect November uh, as far as enforcement with the boots on the ground. So- Yeah, it, so it sounds they, like that vote's already been been done, right? Goes into oh, effect, oh, really? Huh, No, it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just a mess. So this year, this year we're gonna see great changes and more of a, tyrannical technocracy type term uh, th this is this is getting out of hand and we're going to have this confrontation this year and certainly next year and it's not going to be pretty but i'm not giving in i'm remaining not either I'm, I'm not either i'm not participating in this agenda whatsoever and it and it might cause me my current existence here exactly. as, a, as a human yep. but i'm not uh i'm not acquiescing and uh, bowing down, forget it. So uh, if this is where I stand and I have months left to live on this planet, then it's going to go on this ethereal field library, this grand record that I am resisting using my free will and my consciousness. I do not agree with this global agenda. I will not participate in this transhumanism. I want uh, organic is to me uh, the original design and purpose. And uh, if I get wiped out or deleted, at least I've made a stand on record uh, that I've resisted this as, as a scientist. And I gave it everything I got to resist this. Amen. Yeah, it's not in my DNA either. I, I don't, I couldn't do, I couldn't. I, I would be going against everything that my bloodline has been fighting for this yeah. whole time. Yeah, you're right. You know, well, I... <clears throat> Well, uh, we've reached our time limit on this re recording, okay. but I think we set it up good for a part two, don't you, Dee? I do. Thank you. I'd be honored. And uh, 
your reception, your microphone came in loud and clear. So I was <laughs> happy about that. <laughs> and we, uh, we'll get feedback well, how the audience uh, likes this. And then of course you can share it with your friends. I, I'll share it with my uh, friends as well. We'll see how many people we can get okay. listening to this. And uh, as we wrap this up, with Ethereal Underground, I wanted to thank our special guest, Didi, and the knowledge of information that she provided, and interesting history of her family, uh, going back 1800s plus, and the accomplishments of her grandfather, and the list goes on, and then how she was involved in music and the movie industry, and uh, she never retired, no grass grows under her feet, she's still <laughs> active and her uh, wonderful company, MD Air, with the website that we had given. I encourage everyone to check it out so you can see the technology and uh, get in touch with her if you have any questions or you're interested in having that for yourself. Certainly uh, welcome that, get her some traffic and some business uh, going her way. And then we'll pick this up with the transhumanism topic on part two. How's that sound? That sounds great, can't wait. All right, well, okay. uh, until next time, everyone take care. Thank you.